wonder if you have any weird combinations when it comes to your sandwiches. You have any weird things that you put together? Someone actually mentioned last week during the breakout rooms after the Zoom service, they enjoy both jam and cheese on their sandwich. I thought that was pretty standard. Is it not pretty standard? Okay. Anyone here likes avocado on a piece of toast? Oh yes. Oh no, not really. Thank you very much. Any other weird combinations that you can think of? Odd combinations? Anyone like pulchards or tuna on a sandwich? No? Yeah? Any other weird combos that you want to share? Anyone eat banana on bread? Maybe banana bread? Banana and bacon? Uh-huh. The bit of maple syrup over? That is a good combination. Opposites attract. Often we know this. Maybe you have a friend with black and white tiles in the kitchen or bathroom. Hot and cold. Nice steam room sauna and then an ice cold dip afterwards. What about an ice cream on a hot summer's day? Sweet and sour pork. Here's a good example and this is my latest discovery and this is my favorite new snack and it looks you know this this is called the Easter uh, Easter bun yeah hot cross bun anyone like these yeah we all do um, anyone likes Marmite yeah have you had the Marmite Easter buns huh can I ask, just please tell me you've had this. Have you had it? You've not had this. It will change your world for the rest of your life. Not for the better. I promise you. <laughs> I promise you one bite and you'll be converted. It's really, um, I was as surprised as you will be if you bite into one of these. I tried to bring some so that we could pass it around to eat, but I couldn't help myself and I finished all of them. <laughs> Odd and strange combinations can often leave us perplexed when it's unexpected or when it's not what we're used to. Often it challenges our worldviews and we are challenged to make a paradigm shift. And friends, that's how we grow and we mature. Who'd thought that Jesus would be friends with both sinners and saints with the rich and the poor, with those that have high status and those that have low status, those that are in the inner circle and those that operate on the margins. One of my favorite pieces of art from the Surrealist movement is called Luncheon in Fur. I wonder if you've seen that before. I wonder how people would respond if we had them drinking out of that yesterday at the afternoon tea. It is made by Merit Oppenheim, a friend of Pablo Picasso made in 1936. The surrealist cup that stirred the world, one news article called it. It's a bit wacky, isn't it? You can see that it consists of a, of a fur-covered teacup, saucer and spoon. One interpreter said the following, reflecting on this piece of art. They said, it's an object designed to engender madness. 
two incompatible materials have been brought together to create one troubling vessel. Fur is pleasing to touch, but horrible to put in your mouth. You want to drink from the cup and eat from the spoon. That is their purpose. But the sensation of the fur is too repulsive. It is indeed a maddening cycle. A maddening cycle as two incompatible materials are brought together. Friends, we know that art and music have always been powerful tools to bring opposites together. Incompatible materials together. Often silently questioning the status quo or protesting injustice or war or fighting for peace. Maybe you've heard that song, Ebony and Ivory, living in perfect harmony. Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. One won't be completed with the other. In the same way, a piano won't be able to function without either its black or white keys. There is a mysterious truth to freedom when differing worlds collide. Let me give you a very, very recent example of what I'm trying to convey. Maybe you saw this in the papers or scrolling through your news articles. Lovely couple, he was a doctor and she an oncology nurse before they started to volunteer as medics in Kharkiv in Ukraine. They've given of themselves and their resources to help their body and their city. If you look at the next two photos, you will see it's not the traditional type of wedding photos you would see done and taken at Dundas or Kalauri Castle, bombed and shelled. And still amidst all the chaos and hurt, there's a moment to cherish, tying the knot, finding deeper meaning, to celebrate their wedding in the rubble. Opposing worlds leaves quite the impression. All for love and peace. Friends, when the crowds saw Jesus entering Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, the visual picture probably had something of a similar effect. Had the disciples scratching their heads. Why? Because here on the one hand, you have a donkey. A calm animal used for agriculture. A donkey is a humble mount. And the colt of a donkey even more so. Donkeys, as we know, are smaller than horses, not as fast and responsive as horses, and unsuitable as a mount in battle. The colt of a donkey could barely carry a full-grown man. And then, on the other side, you have the Messiah, the ruler of the universe, the liberator, the miracle worker, the king of the Jews, the one that will start the revolution to overthrow the Roman power. Lord of all, almighty, combined with a humble and lowly creature. Kings ride neither colts nor donkeys, but full-grown horses, well-trained and very responsive 
Horus is chosen in part for strength and spirit and in part for appearance, large, impressive. In much the same way, presidents these days fly in private jets or drive around in limousines. Not saying it's right. The size and the beauty of a king's horse bear testimony to the king's importance. But friends, that's not what we find here in this passage. We have a display of a luncheon in fur. We have a, a marmite-flavored Easter bun or a wedding shoot in warfare. Why? Because Jesus is a different kind of king. He comes in peace to serve, comes to die, just as a king's huge spirited war horse sends a message about the man who rides it, so also Jesus' donkey sends a message about who he is, his purpose in coming. In many of your translations, your Bibles, there would be a heading, triumphant entry into Jerusalem. This is also a bit of a contradiction. How triumphant is it really if Jesus was going to die in a few days? For his triumph, his power, his authority lies not in being crowned and conquering earthly things, but triumphing over evil, conquering death and Satan forevermore. Jesus' kingship had to do with love and grace and peace. He understands his mission to bring harmony, peace into a world that was in conflict with one another and also with God. The Palm Sunday experience was a totally planned event which symbolized God's message of peace in the world. Peace with others and also inner peace. I believe the greatest gift that Jesus gave us is the ability to be at peace with him and also with ourselves and you know what friends this talk of kings and empires and earthly power brings to mind the war in ukraine the images are hard to see the siege and bombardment of cities like mariupol where citizens are without food and shelter and water and fuel is a stark example of where earthly power takes us. One man's delusional bid to resurrect an empire long gone has led to the deaths of thousands and thousands of people, many of them his own. The anguished plea to Pharaoh by his advisors after he refused yet again to listen to Moses rings true today. Thousands of years later. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? No. Pharaoh does not understand and neither does Putin. Dictators act as dictators have for millennia. Agents of evil and death. On high horses, such is the result of the sin of pride and greed. On Palm Sunday, we praise a king whose power is not of tanks and fighter planes or drones and supersonic missiles. This week, 
we see the power of God to do something that no army can, to give life, not to destroy it, to change hearts, and to destroy the power of sin and death for all. Jesus rides into Jerusalem to topple the powers that be. But those powers are not the Roman Empire or any earthly power for that matter. Jesus says to Pilate later in the week, my kingdom is not of this world. We are not the real enemies. Death and Satan are, and they have been conquered. Friends, knowing what is yet to come in a week from today allows us to perceive the greatest paradox ever known to mankind, and that is the cross. A sinless man dying on a cross. In the cross, we see the glorification of Jesus. Jesus is glorified on a cross, which as Neil Platinga has often said, is about as odd as being enthroned on an electric chair. What keeps us from fleeing the cross is precisely our awareness that God in Christ is accomplishing something incredible in and through death. Today, knowing about Easter allows us to see the entry into Jerusalem as Jesus' own funeral procession. We don't need to turn Palm Sunday into something it is not. We don't need to treat it as a pre-Easter but can see this as a march to Golgotha, the first step towards the gospel paradox, a combination never seen before, death that brings life, the sacrifice that solves all the problems in the world. Jesus must walk this path into this week, and so should we. Friends, when you see Weird and wacky and strange combinations this week. Be reminded of the greatest paradox ever. The image of the creator of the world giving his life for yours. And so I want to end off just with two questions. Jesus on a donkey, as you can see here, displayed in front of me, places us before two questions. And I want to leave you with that. And I want you to almost wrestle with it today and in this week. Will we live according to the world's definition of power? Or will we live up to Jesus' demonstration of power? Will we live according to the world's definition of power? Or will we live up to Jesus' demonstration of power? Amen. Let us join our hearts in prayer. Christ, you entered the city as a poor man, not in style, but simply. Yet still you caused uproar and questions everywhere. You drew the expectations of a hungry crowd and brought buried conflicts to the light. May we, who are sometimes swayed by the crowd's approval and who often avoid conflict for fear of its cost to us, 
hold fast to the gospel of peace and justice and follow faithfully in your way of compassion and solidarity with those who are poor and excluded, wherever it may lead us. And so, Father, this message from your word it carries a lot of weight. <clears throat> we look to a lot of leaders around the world or in our own country or in our own community. And we often see poor examples of the distribution of power. And it irks us and it pains us. And often when we see that, it brings to light our own struggles with power. How we often struggle to be the last because we want to be first. How we struggle to serve unselfishly. How we struggle to rather opt for the donkey instead of the high horse. So in this week, Lord, may you reveal in us places where we still need to let go of our egos and our self-centeredness. It is a difficult journey to take, but it's not nearly as difficult as the journey you took into Jerusalem, fully well knowing what lies ahead for you. And so we thank you for the sacrifice of the cross, sacrifice on the cross, giving your life for us so that we might have life in abundance. And in this week, Lord, when we see almost conflicting colors or patterns or images, maybe a, a dark gray cloud on the one side and a blue sky on the other, might we just be reminded of this perfect balance you held together, unblemished, without sin, dying for us on the cross. Might that take root deep into our hearts and change the way we think and act. We love you, Lord, but we know we are also only able to love because you loved us first. We honor and praise your name, Jesus. Amen. Receive now the blessing of the Lord. May our faithful God, the God who is from the beginning, the Alpha and the Omega, bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May He lift up His countenance and give you everlasting peace now and forevermore. Amen.